Good morning, church. It's a privilege to read God's word to you today. We will be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. If you're reading from your pew Bible, it's page 811. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the precious word of God. Good morning, church family. It is an honor and privilege to be back here with you all. I just want to say thank you for the, for the opportunity that you guys gave me and my family to, to go out to Capitol Hill Baptist Church for the last five months. We have missed you dearly. God, I cannot explain how many ways that God has shaped my life, the different avenues that he has changed. And I'm, I'm grateful for you, you guys' generosity for allowing us to be out there. I hope to share more in detail in the future. I'm so thankful for your commitment to gathering. Thank you for everyone online joining us. We are kicking off this new year with a new series called Deeper. Jesus said in the beginning of his famous Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they should be satisfied. Is that you this morning? Do you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? The shepherds of this church, they had that desire for you. And I hope that you do too. See, one of the things that I learned over the last five months is, it may seem silly, but it, 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 I learned how to pray. Not only pray, but how to pray for you all. I'm reminded of how Paul prayed in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. He said, I thank my God in remembrance of all of you. And you guys make my prayer with joy. You know why? He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. From this day until then. And the shepherds, the pastors of this church, they have witnessed how God had began a great work in you and how he's going to bring it to completion on that day of Jesus Christ. Today we will discuss how to go deeper in our relationship with God through prayer. Who was it that taught you how to pray. Who was it that modeled for you the courage of going to God in prayer? For me, it was my dad. When I was a little boy, I used to have these nightmares that would freak me out at night. I would run to my father 
in tears. And he would graciously say, son, pray with me. And he taught me how to go to my heavenly father in the weakest moments of my life when I'm vulnerable. He even also taught me how to memorize Psalms 23. Who was it that taught you? See, many of us memorize the scripture that is in front of us today, Matthew chapter 6. We have learned to recite it when we are discouraged, when we are burdened, when we are afraid, when we're grieved, and even when we're praying for others. See, many people approach these verses like it's some type of formula, like it's some special secret sauce to get God to listen to us. But I think what Jesus is doing here, he's modeling for us what it looks like to be children of God who run to the Heavenly Father. It's very hard to look at this text without noticing that Jesus assumes that we will pray. Take a look at verse 5 through 7. Jesus says, and when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray. Jesus makes it clear that if you are a Christian, you can pray. And you will pray. I hope that encourages you this morning in light of us being very terrible at prayer. And the very excuses that are abundant that we make due to why we don't pray. Our Savior knows we will pray. So today's sermon is titled, When You Pray. So when do you pray? I know this can be a very convicting question due to the fact that in, in our lives it's, it's so frantic. We wake up when the alarm goes off, some of us. We rush out the door. We barely eat breakfast. We try to get the kids to school on time. We try to get to work on time so our bosses don't be upset with us. You see, one of the biggest excuses that we are guilty of it's being too busy to pray. Or we think that we need to be super spiritual. We need a master's degree in theology in order to talk to God. In order to commune with our Heavenly Father. Maybe we become so aware of our own sinfulness, our own ugliness, that we begin to believe that God doesn't want to hear from us. That we could have to be, we have to clean ourselves up in order for us to go to God. I love the way John Abuchakwa, he he's a pastor that wrote a little book on prayer. I think there's one on the bookstore here. It's the first one, first come, first come, first serve, right? He said this. He said, prayer to a Christian is like breathing to stay alive. Prayer to a Christian. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than be alive without breathing. Prayer should become so natural to us that it is just us breathing in the very fresh air of God's grace. Prayer is where man becomes small and God becomes big. Jesus teaches us that when our hearts have been transformed by the mercies of God, 
We would not be selfish man-pleasers, but selfless children that are in need of their heavenly Father. So lesson number one, when you pray, don't fear man. See, the setting of our text is Jesus' wonderful Sermon on the Mount, where he is inaugurating his new covenant. See, his audience would be mostly Jews. Most of these people will have already adopted the mindset that if, if I'm good enough, God will accept me. If I keep all of his commands, God will welcome me into his family. See, in our context, we have individuals who believe that if they perform certain spiritual rituals, that they, would, they could manipulate God, they can twist his arm. If they outperform their colleagues and their friends, then God will listen to them. And not only listen to them, that they maybe even receive the very own righteousness of God. But really, their reward is just self-righteousness and self-centered praise by man. Take a look at verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, these hypocrites, they love to stand in the synagogues and to be seen by men. These men were show-offs. Their underlying desire was to be praised by how godly they were on the outside. Because of their prayers, because of their words. Jesus called these same people out in, in verse 2. If you look back to verse 2, he said, when, when these people would give to the needy, they would let their left hand know what their right hand was doing. With their words and actions, these hypocrites hoped to create an outward image of themselves that was not true on the inside. Standing in the synagogues and in the street corners gave these people a platform to indulge in the idol of self. It was not wrong to play in these places. I want to make that clear. Jesus is not condemning public corporate prayer. Jesus will often pray in the presence of his disciples. He also prayed in, in, in a lost gathering. For instance, we know in, in John 6, when he took the little boy's lunch, he prayed before he fed the multitude of people. See, throughout the Bible, we have many de demonstrations of corporate prayer. Here in our text, Jesus is warning us to be on guard. Be on guard of letting the fear of man rule in our hearts, in our prayers. Be on guard against the prayers that invite human attention instead of divine attention. Sin always begins in the heart, doesn't it? The desire to exalt oneself above another is pride. And it's the very root of their hypocrisy. So what about you, brothers and sisters? What is your heart posture when it comes to prayer? Are you more concerned with what other people think of you? Are you more concerned that, that you might not sound spiritual? Are you more concerned about 
get an applause by your prayers? Or are your prayers so, so concerned, are your eyes so fixed on your heavenly father? Are your eyes so fixed upon his love for you? See, it always amazes me when I come to the corporate prayer gatherings here and a, a little child comes up to pray. It's something so humbling about a little child that just wants to come boldly to the throne room of God. And the, and the prayer comes off with great simplicity. God, you are amazing. And we're sinners. And we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Make us more like him. Amen. So simple. Kids, are you here today? Keep praying in public. You're doing a great work. You're modeling for adults how to pray. May God grant us that same childlike faith to be so focused on God and not man. Take a look at verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, the very definition of prayer is communion with God. And when you pray, Jesus says, let your attitude and your mind be so in tune with your father. Once again, I don't think Jesus wants us to be so focused on a specific location, but on our hearts. See, God listens to our prayers in private, and he also listens to our prayers in public. So that you will not be deceived to think that prayer is about you or about the people around you. Jesus instructs us to go to the most private place that you can think of so that you can commune with your father. You see, Jesus wants us to be so concentrated on the father that it'd be very tough to make our prayers about ourselves. See, prayer is intimate, whether it's private or public. And I'm grateful that we are a church to practice both. You see, when we pray, we are bearing our very souls to our Heavenly Father. Lesson two. When you pray, don't manipulate God, but seek Him. Take a look at verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. See, these Gentiles, they believe that they can manipulate God by how, how, how many words that they would heap up to him. To be Gentile simply means to be non-Jewish. They were looked upon as pagans. These individuals thought that they could get God's attention by how long their prayers were. Or how articulate their words were. They were heaping up these empty phrases that, that they will merit hoping that they would merit God's favor. They're hoping that they would merit God's kingdom, his righteousness. These words were not seeking to know him. These words were not seeking to get his undivided attention, but man's undivided attention. See, how many of our lives reflect this? 
that if we somehow we had a secret formula or a secret code, that maybe God will listen to us. That if, if, if maybe if I, if I don't commit any sins today, maybe God will hear my prayers. You see, if I'm honest, I used to live this way. I used to think if I didn't have my morning quiet time, that my whole day would be ruined. I just knew I was going to have a terrible day because I didn't meet with God for 15 minutes. See, how many of us have adopted that idea? That, 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 the, <laughs> that the early bird catches the first worm and I paralyze. You see, if this is you, then we may have turned our prayers into, into something that was not meant to be. You see, we have lost sight that prayer to the Christian is like breathing is to being alive. Brothers and sisters, let's graciously go to our Heavenly Father. You see, we're so used to treating prayer like it's some sort of prescription medicine. Like if I I prayed, it'd get rid of the infection. Think about all the things that's going on in our world, like the racial tension, the political strife, this coronavirus pandemic. It seems like the year 2020 has, has extended itself, hasn't it? But once these things passed away, do our prayers cease? Let it not be so, brothers and sisters. Prayer is like breathing. It's natural. It's frequent. And it's fervent. You see, planning time to pray is a good thing. But don't let that time become ultimate. Don't let that special room become ultimate. Let your heavenly father become ultimate. See, don't let our prayers turn into performance or seeking the benefits of God instead of God himself. See, when that becomes our motive, that's when it becomes an issue. Seeking God for what he can give us instead of communion with him. You see, I don't think Jesus is telling us that we should not come to the Father with persistence. We can come to God persistent because he is good. Not because somehow our persistence impresses him. See, God answers our prayers out of the abundance of his grace and his mercy. Not because of our own efforts. Not because we want to gain rewards. See, brothers and sisters, God does not lack discernment. He knows what you need before you ask. You see, sometimes the very thing that we're asking for, God is trying to protect us from. Maybe that job promotion, it may not be helpful for you. You see, God is not cruel. He's not ignorant. It's almost like my three-year-old daughter. She says, Daddy, can I have some candy? And it's nine o'clock at night. And when I say no to her, she, she might not know. She might not understand that this candy would be physically unhelpful for her. See, God is not cruel. See, verse 8, take a look at verse 8. It teaches us that God knows our hearts. It says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows our hearts. He knows when we are hypocritical. 
He knows when we are being man pleasers. He knows when we're just trying to manipulate him with our words. He knows what is best for us. God wants what's best for you, and he knows what's best for you. Will you trust his heart? See, let our prayers take us into God's presence instead of seeking to twist his arm. Lesson three. When you pray, fear God. See, God is not the boogeyman. He's not out to get you. God is not Santa Claus. He's not checking to see if you are naughty or nice. God is not a drill sergeant. He's not yelling at you, screaming at you to get it together. Jesus teaches us. Take a look at verse 9. He is our father. He's not any father. He is our father. See, brothers and sisters, it is a great privilege to be able to call God father. To be children of God. Jesus is teaching us that we can call the Lord Almighty Father. Jesus is teaching his disciples that God is intimately personal. We can approach him with confidence because of what Jesus, our big brother, has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. See, Jesus reconciled us to God by his death on the cross. See, we share the same Father. Through faith. See, Jesus changed the way we relate to God forever. See, I know this may be uh, difficult or challenging to see, to see God as your father because of you, our dad experiences here on this earth. See, I know that can be, make it hard for you to imagine God as your father. But please, let me, let me tell you that you are worthy of love. You are desired by God. So much so that his son, who is eternal, became one of us. So that, and he lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you deserve because of your sin. So that through faith in him, you can become adopted into his family. That's what kind of father we have. He wants us as his own. You see, knowing God as father changes everything. It changes the way we pray. We no longer have to live for other people's praise and other people's acceptance because we're already accepted by God. We can boldly approach him in, in corporate prayer and in private prayer. We do not have to heap up these empty phrases hoping that he will hear us and take our request. Because we know he has a heart of a father. And he wants what is best for us. 
Christian, you are a child of God. And that does not change by how busy you are or how spiritual you think you ought to be. God loves you just the way you are, not as you should be. Because we would never be as we should be until we are in his kingdom. Prayer begins and ends with him. You see, prayer brings us to this loving father. He is both intimately our father and he's infinitely in heaven. You see, God is both near to us and he is beyond us. And his name shall be hallowed. His name shall be honored as holy. Brothers and sisters, this truth is not just to be known in our lives, in our hearts, but throughout the world. See, God's adoration and praise is not beginning in with us. If we do not praise him, Luke tells us that even the rocks will cry out. All of creation will declare of his greatness. See, God's name will be honored as holy upon the clouds, upon the mountains, and upon the seas. To fear God is to worship him, to have reverence. To honor him in our prayers is to tell him who he is and what he has done. You see, in our prayers, what is it that we want most? Do we want his name to be hallowed? Do we want his kingdom to come? Do we want his will to be done? Brothers and sisters, God is building a kingdom. We do not get this kingdom without God first bringing the kingdom to us. I don't think Jesus' mountaintop audience quite understood what Jesus was doing in this moment. The very one that was modeling for them how to pray for the coming kingdom is the one who is bringing in this kingdom. You see, that baby in the manger that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago was the kingdom coming down to earth. See, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is where evil was conquered and death was destroyed through his resurrection. You see, through his resurrection, we have the hope of a new reality. We have light and darkness. I know there's still so much pain. I know many of you came in grieved and burdened with injustice, with maybe even just the stench of death. But God, through, this, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we have hope. We have hope of his return, don't we? Where evil will be finally destroyed. And we will be free from the very presence of sin and shame and death. No more suffering. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. You see, Jesus is teaching us to call out, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
come quickly. To fear God is to pray for his will to be done. To know his will and to live it out. Jesus prayed this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he got down and he cried out to his father. When he knew his time had come for him to die on the cross. He said, he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus praying for God's will to be done did not mean God must fulfill his plan some other way. He knew that the only way that God was going to carry out his plan, that his plan was to be done through him. His praying meant that he was ready to step up to the plate, to be the one whom God would use to carry out his redemptive plan. When we pray, let your will be done. We are asking God to make us his kingdom people, to make us his ambassadors, to make us his spokesmen, to make us his representative here on this earth, to make disciples, to draw people to himself. God, Let us be the ones who live out the victory of what your son has accomplished for us. God, let King Jesus be exalted, exalted here on earth as it is in heaven. Let us live out our lives with the fear of the Lord, seeking his kingdom and being his ambassadors. Not only while we pray for ourselves, but as we pray for each other. Lesson four, when you pray, come dependently. Take a look at verse 11. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. We let the father know that his children are in need of him when we come to his table asking for what only he can give us. When we bring our petitions to God, we are confessing to him that we need him. Not for tomorrow, but for today. Lord, we need you every hour. You see, in our desperation, we will run to the Father in prayer. Jesus is telling us that not only does God care for our eternal needs, He cares for our practical everyday needs. He care about our immediate needs. Jesus is teaching us that all of our needs should be brought to the Father in prayer. There is nothing too big or, or, or anything too small that we cannot bring to him. You see, God can use our neediness, our inabilities to further his kingdom especially when we pray for the needs beyond our own. Church, let's pray for one another. I want to let you guys know that your pastors are praying for you all. See, notice Jesus says, give us our daily bread. Prayer is not just for us. 
We have the gift and the privilege to pray for one another. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus is our daily bread. He satisfied every hunger, every thirst, every desire that we have. He's the bread of life that fulfills every desire that we can have, including our forgiveness. See, if you're here, if you're here today, or maybe you're watching online, and you're, you're not a Christian, God is offering you the forgiveness of your sins. God is offering to take care of your greatest problem. You see, God is our loving creator who has freely given us everything. But we owe him everything. But because of our rebellion against him, because of our rejection of him, because of us not holding up our end, we deserve his judgment. We deserve death, condemnation. But the greatest news ever is that that same God who is faithful and gracious, he has provided a way for us to have the forgiveness of our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. You see that baby in the manger that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago? He was God's son that was eternal, who became one of us, who lived for us, who died for us, who resurrected for us, so that we can be the righteousness of God. So through faith in him, you can become a child of God today. You see, God is not, God is inviting you. He's commanding you to turn away from your sin and to trust in him, to turn away from your rebellion, to receive him as your father, receive Jesus as your savior. He's going to change everything. So if you have questions about that, please come see me or one of the pastors here. You see, we owe a holy God complete obedience. We are debtors to him. But only he can forgive our debts. Christian, the gospel tells us that we are forgiven at the cross. So now we can forgive each other. Church, on this side of eternity, you will continue to sin. Jesus is teaching us that our repentance does not stop at conversion. We daily turn to him, don't we? See, don't let sin stop you from turning to your Father in heaven. Don't let sin stop you from coming back into the body of Christ. Bring your sins to him. Because the word of God says God's grace is greater than all of our sins. It won't surprise him. He already knows what you have done in public and in secret. We not only need God to take away our guilt from sin, but we also confess that we cannot be loyal to him without his help. Take a look at verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Church, in this life, we will face many temptations, many trials. Jesus had made that 
clear for us throughout Scripture. Jesus had made that clear for us um, through his baptism. After his baptism, what did Jesus do? He went right into temptation. Take a look at uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way. He provides the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That is good news, isn't it? God will provide a way for escape. This is the very reason why we pray, because all of our lives is way more than what we can handle ourselves. If we could handle it all, we wouldn't need a heavenly father. We wouldn't need a savior. We pray because we're not able to take care of ourselves. We have inabilities that only God can take care of. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Brothers and sisters, I do not think it's ironic that Jesus, he's teaching us, while he's teaching us how to pray, he's taking us back to forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, we can, we can forgive because God has first forgiven us. So who in this life are you holding a grudge against? Who, who in your life are you holding bitterness towards? See, to be a Christian without forgiveness is no more possible than be alive without breathing. Look at what Paul says in, in the, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. God has forgiven you of all of your sins. Your debt is clear. So God is now, has imputed to us his righteousness, his forgiveness. So now we can forgive each other. Church, let us dive deeper in our relationships with each other and with God. Let us forgive those who have sinned against us. Church, who will you teach to pray? Who will you model forgiveness to? Who will you demonstrate the courage of prayer? You see, when you pray, expect God to do great things, to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. You see, before the internship, before I went to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, my prayer was that God would give me a love for his church. And, and another prayer was that God would make me more like his son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I, I have the privilege of saying that's what God has done. God has given me a heart for his people. He has given me a clear understanding of what is a church and how to shepherd that church, just like his son, Jesus Christ. Church, we can go deeper in our relationship with God 
every rest in who he is and what he has done for us. See, the kindness and the forgiveness of God will lead us to prayer. And it will lead us to pray for each other and forgive each other. Church, there will be a day when everything that we just talked about today will be unnecessary. In eternity, we will be with our Heavenly Father. Heaven will meet earth. And God's name will be hallowed forever by us. God's will will be fully accomplished. We will be face to face with the bread of life himself. And we will be just like him. No need for the forgiveness of our sin. No need for sin itself. No need for Satan tempting us. No more death. It will be no more. So when you pray, keep eternity in mind. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Our Father, your children come to you because we need you. Your children come to you because you are intimately with us and you are infinitely beyond us. You are the God who is rich in grace and mercy. And so we praise you. God, we confess to you that we make so many excuses about why we don't have time to pray. We confess to you that we fear man. We confess to you that we give up on prayer because we think that you are not loving, that you don't care. But God, when we look, when we take our eyes off ourselves and we place 10 looks at Jesus Christ, we know all of that is false. We know that you are loving because you have given us your only son. And we know that you would give us all things. God, we are so grateful for your love. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church. I pray that you will make us a praying church. I pray that you will make us a forgiving church. God, as we wait for you to come, help us to go deeper in our relationship with you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.